your hands lies your destiny. Hello and welcome to the Popcorn Brothers. I'm Eli. (laughs) I'm Isaac. And this is a movie podcast. We like to uh, give each other movies, talk about them. We review what we saw, what came out at the movie this week. We look at trailers, tell you what's going on. And we took a week off. So yeah, this we is had like, a break. what's even happening right I now? I know, I'm confused. It's like a whole different world that we're just <laughs> living in. All right. So if you missed us, we are back. Have no fear. It's, the last uh, thing we did was go. we talked about the Oscars. Yeah, we did. And we took a little time off there. You talked Some a lot about the on. Oscars. I did talk a lot. <laughs> you had a lot to say. And maybe one or two people listened to the whole thing. Man, if anyone did, they're much more educated about the Oscars. I it's hope so. it was it was very comprehensive. And That's then cool. the, obviously the Oscars happened. And let's also just point out that not only did I provide you some great information, but I was pretty much spot on. Yeah, on everything that happened. We made lots of good guesses. I'm not even gonna mm, be. Eh, they're not really uh, guesses. Yeah, I guess at this point they're the circuit, so solid. The circuit runs for so long that you it's very easy to predict. Which I think actually makes for an incredibly boring ceremony uh, and i think that yeah. they shouldn't do that anymore yeah especially when um the film that wins best picture is a weaker version of a director's Ooh. other picture Ooh. We're gonna welcome talk to about. our episode about pan's <laughs> labyrinth so and should we clarify yeah our, go ahead okay so we if you know our format i guess usually we have like i would choose a movie that eli's mm-hmm. never seen that's one of my favorites and we talk about it and then he would do the opposite the next week we kind of go back and forth but we're for uh, the next couple of episodes we decided that that format was not conducive to talking about some of our favorite movies because some of our favorite movies we've both already seen so we're gonna take a little side trip and do a couple of movies that we've both already seen and just talk about them just so that we can uh, get through them because they're some of our favorite movies yeah and uh, what a what a timely choice pan's labyrinth oh, yeah. is that was a good what? pick too <laughs> Who could have thought? How did that happen? It just things just line up sometimes, and uh, in the same couple of weeks that Guillermo Guillermo del Toro, (laughs) newest picture wins, yeah, wins. Well, and he won best director uh, for so he won both. Yeah, I mean he yeah he was in the Shape of Water only win two Oscars. Because I'll have you know, Pan's Labyrinth won three, so no, because it won it won a score too. I think Shape of Water won score. Okay, so they both won. Oh, and it won production design. Oh, so it won four. Yeah, it won more. What a travesty, dude! We can talk about that Oscars ceremony too, which I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for it, and I'm like, this was a very odd year. There's a lot of (laughs) weird stuff going on there. Okay, well, we'll get into it when we get into the. uh, the meat of the episode there, but l- let's start with this week at the movies. All right, is or the a- last couple of weeks at the movies. Yeah, more we like. got we've got two weeks, and I don't think last time we had gone to the movies. We have gone well, to the movies. I think this we time. Had be- well, we didn't do this week at the movies on the Oscar one, so oh, it's yeah, really like we missed three it. It's weeks. Like three weeks at the movies, and we have four movies. We've got so to much stuff run to through catch quickly. everyone up on. Yeah, all right, yeah. all right. Start it up, Isaac. What's or no me? Do I get? Should I go? Yeah, go first. All right. Well, I just saw. Black Panther. We just saw it. Oh, yeah, you did too. We and were together. And if you've been following the podcast, you know I've really never watched any Marvel never movies. Marvel and I movie. actually think that was the first Marvel movie I've seen wow. all the way through. Yeah, so everything that was a flashback was in another Marvel movie, if you didn't. Um, oh, if I didn't get that, yeah, I kind of got that. it. Okay. I don't know. There was a little kid that was screaming it next to our next to us in the theater, <laughs> oh, so yeah. I'm not sure if that made it clear enough That was fun. You. In between <laughs> spilling everything that they bought oh, at the Oh, yeah, there was stand. a lot of popcorn. There was liquid. I heard liquid spill multiple times in a row which is hilarious poor people what was it that, that i was trying to think of what that kid said that was just hilarious 
oh no it was a it was a trailer for something and he was like oh we have to go see that like <laughs> dad we have to like out loud it so was loud. for jurassic world you're right yeah <laughs> he and then he was like this takes place after the first one like screaming it was hilarious screaming in a whisper voice oh man kids these days okay yeah well um black panther i loved it i thought it was awesome i drove myself to facebook on my phone just to post about how awesome it was <laughs> and only one person disagreed and oh I, wow interesting I, yeah Somebody i thought they were with you yeah someone did disagree oh. and they had no rebuttal when i offered of them a rebuttal yeah because their their response to, to it Facebook. was it, it was it was dull and uneventful and i was like how and there was there was never a response but okay okay white dude that i don't know anymore like get off my facebook interesting jesus all right yeah i liked no, it it was and for me as a person who is not really into superhero movies, typically, mm-hmm. um, I appreciated the fact that it has, of course, all the superhero elements because obviously yeah. all the superhero movies are going to have those portions to it. I thought that this movie did a really nice job talking about some more complex themes mm-hmm. and packaging some more human drama elements within yeah. a superhero movie. That's what I appreciate. Yeah, I would it. say it's by far more socially interesting and just as uh, I think conceptually interesting as an origin story, as opposed to like yeah. Spider-Man story that you've seen a hundred times, even if they change it up and make an excellent movie, which they did recently. This is, well, and it's not Much really different. even an origin story. It kind of is, but he's already Black Panther yeah. when the movie starts. You're right. It's, um, well, I'm, uh, yeah, technically, King of Wakanda is Black Panther, though, as you saw in the intro. Yes. So. Um, but my thing about the themes was, in terms of the, especially with the villain, it's not really just good guys versus bad guys. Oh, There's a all. lot more about yeah. when you're responsible for groups of people or the way that you um, sort of approach what the what's good for the majority of the people or that sort of thing. Yeah. And Um, they dealt very interesting. I loved how they actually dealt with that theme too. And how uh, T'Challa actually like he, I mean, he he knew they were wrong and like had to turn back on the ancestors and like it goes on from there. But yeah, just the identification of that, like poor choice leading to where they were empathy for the villain or people who were quote unquote, the bad guys. There was a significant, aspect of that to the movie too and mm-hmm. so i thought it was really well done and i liked it yeah and it was fun it was a good time it was and only a little bit of bad cgi considering the number no- of the it, amount just of CGI. one very <laughs> noticeable even i was like wow this cgi is pretty bad here yeah it was bad yeah for cool those who know though. watch that scene on the waterfall <laughs> again and you can't tell me that that doesn't look like cgi from a few years ago yeah those were i i really enjoyed the waterfall fights though the fights oh, yeah. themselves well the and i were really good <clears throat> to me too also you i mean most of the time with superhero movies i feel like it's just how do we make it bigger and bigger and bigger until oh, yeah. gigantic entire cities are being destroyed by yeah. huge monsters yeah. or everything whatever everything was small in but, scale yeah, yeah and a lot of it was individual combat mm-hmm. and so i thought that was really fun and yep. even at the end it, it did get a lot bigger but it was never too ridiculous for me yeah plus the variety like a huge cast of characters and it felt like every character remained relevant yeah much more of an ensemble too it did a nice job of that which Mm -hmm. was more interesting too yeah cool all right that's black panther what else did we see isaac number two uh we went and saw game night we went and saw game night which is a comedy that has jason bateman and um 
oh, I can't think. Rachel McAdams. Yes. And uh, sort of a, um, it's from the people who did Horrible Bosses. So you can kind of see uh, how that informs that. a little bit of it. Yes. Um, it's sort of a, it's not so lowbrow. That's why I like it. You know what I mean? No. It's kind yeah. of, it's sort of awkward humor in some parts. Oh, very and awkward. sort of mature kind of weird humor. But I certainly enjoy that sort of thing. Uh, but it was also kind of fun because it was, kind of a mystery and kind of a oh, thriller and absolutely. but it was also funny i mean, I mean big plot twists yeah unexpected turns i mean characters not doing you not doing what you thought they were doing things and going trying around. to figure out who was bad and who was good yeah. and what the what we were really even doing or what's actually happening yeah exactly well, as that's you're what I was watching it happen <laughs> yeah which is awesome but a lot of really funny people rachel mcadams was hilarious yeah uh, jason bateman was funny too yeah, and they even I had seen? a couple of side people who were really funny yes surprisingly so the guy that plays the neighbor has been in jesse plemons so many things i was just watching an episode I mean, of drunk history that he was he's in. like a he's like a strange off-brand matt damon but does it really well his face is literally like matt damon plus 10 pounds but i mean he's really good and i can keep seeing him in things but um i was trying to think of the guy i just saw him in ingrid goes west and he plays the young like good looking guy that brings a well it's like a real little indie movie that's what that movie oh, okay is. but he was in it and he was really funny in that and he was the younger guy who brought that like older lady from his oh, yeah. office because uh-huh. he was trying to win at the game night yes. he was so f- i think he's so funny <laughs> he's just no, like he plays dumb good. Yeah. so good yeah and i love that their story never resolved either really yeah. you know like it stayed it stayed at the same point throughout there was no like it didn't go one way or the other because they were, were they talked about like falling in love and yeah. like we're like no i'm not what are you talking well, about i did and feel it never like moved. most of the characters so they sort of set it up because the characters are sort of having a game night and so yeah. they're often pairs of mm-hmm. coupley pairs and all of the pairs i felt like had people in the two the duos really played off of each other really well yeah in every case so that was a lot of fun 100 percent agree yeah so yeah go out catch that it's pretty funny yeah denzel washington is in it yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's not denzel okay um yeah okay so number three i behind your back with our yes. little brother oh saw gosh. annihilation not that i'm not torn up caleb convinced it, me to do it he was well caleb was the one we had caleb so caleb was supposed to decide whether we were going to go see game night or annihilation <laughs> and he picked game night and i was like yes yeah and then the next weekend His i wasn't was here to run behind your back <laughs> yeah okay and um it was great i'm not going to say excellent i do place it a little bit below black panther and there are problems i have with this movie but the more i think about it the higher that i rate it on a a scale especially considering what's come out with sci-fi recently i think i went in i listen i i think i consume a lot of media that deals with a similar type of story so my bar for it was probably set yeah when your expectations are really high yeah like me and caleb we can there's a podcast one of our favorite podcasts is called tannis and like i mean we've listened to like 50 hours of like great radio drama that's Mm -hmm. basically the same story as this so like we have like we have a huge like backlogged story that we constantly think and talk about that is it's a similar it's a similar subject so it's it's hard to get onto it but okay anyways onto the movie wow (laughs) it's if you don't deal with these like um i i don't want to say invasion type movies but like it 
movies that deal with an alternate reality that mm-hmm. like a almost like a portal that opens up sure. on earth to a very science fiction like we're style. talking about complex sci-fi things yeah like it's like it's like a portion of the planet has become infected with something foreign to mm-hmm. the planet and things are different and this is exactly one of those and it does it very well and the cast of women all act i think spectacularly and their stories all diverge in very different ways and there's a cool way the narrative was written where they're explaining the story to you but also you're watching it unfold in little bits as it's being explained from the end so you keep they keep leading you on Mm -hmm. so you always have a little bit of idea what's coming but it's put in a vague enough and interesting enough way as a story to uh i don't know constantly keep you guessing about what's happening and to you definitely know when big things are about to go down which worked really well actually in its favor here and then um the special effects were insane and the climax of the movie not the final act of the movie which was where i like started to get a little like unsure of the quality but have gone back on that and i think it's good for what it is and it it leaves a lasting impression which is why that's That's always sometimes that's important that's why it's actually gone up in my book is because i keep thinking about the ending not because the ending blew me away while i was in theaters but because it stuck with me as like a, leaving a more lasting impression than I think any of these other movies that we've seen since this podcast have started will just because the idea is really good and it's I mean it's it's almost like tactful that they made the ending the way they did I think so cool but yeah I mean the 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 peak of the movie the climax is just I you'll it'll blow your mind I kind of was <laughs> interested in it I'm not really a big sci-fi person but to me it a little looked like from the trailers it kind of looked like alien and I really like it alien, is so. I mean it's four girls being badasses and going out in there and and I love that too yeah <laughs> and I mean it's um uh, who is it? it's Nat Port Natalie Portman yeah, yeah. plays can can play a tough character very well she's really good I used to not really like Natalie Portman a lot mm-hmm. but I think I've gone back on that a little bit so yeah, I think well, I've rethought some stuff. I think she does a lot of. I think she, her work is a lot more subtle sometimes than you give her credit for. It's almost yeah. like you have to really be watching and you have to kind of understand what the way that she's portraying the character versus it's not a, it's not too in your face. It's not so overt, and so sometimes you have to look back a little more and see what she's doing, and that's really interesting to me. But yeah, well, I highly suggest it for anyone that likes well, crazy old. Fictional science, crazy mm-hmm. fictional science, or cool special effects, or cool practical effects. They have a little bit of both. Okay, cool. Anyone who wants to see Poe from the new Star Wars, he's in it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oscar yeah. Isaac. Yes. And then, um, what was, I was going to say one more thing. Oh, yeah. Girls being badasses. Lots of them. Lots that's of always them. fun. Yeah. So good uh i give it sigourney weaver times four eh? <laughs> yes <laughs> quite literally i mean yeah it's it's hard to explain i can't get into it i don't want to get into it to spoil anything because no don't the people that are inter- interested in this will go see it and, and they I'll tell should you, i'm a little oh, there was a lot of information going on right there <laughs> without having seen this movie that i'm like uh, uh-huh yeah okay uh-huh yeah yeah it's tough <laughs> i i don't know it's I, hard to do that yeah i when enjoy the other person hasn't seen the movie yeah i enjoy 
this specific type of media so much like right. in this style that I don't want to say anything about it because I want people to go see it. I just, I That's just good. want them to experience it. So, all right. So we got one more. And for we this have week one the more, movies. which Hold. I'm bringing up because the movie is actually not out yet. So yeah. this movie comes out next weekend. Okay. It's called Love, Simon. Uh, but I got to go to a special screening. My Wait, what? What? A special screening? Yeah, my roommate got us tickets to this special wow. screening. And so, Look I mean, we saw this. That was the first one of all of these that I've seen. It's like, it was three or four weeks ago. I saw this movie a good month before it came, wow. comes out. So it's going to be coming out next weekend. Okay. Uh, it's about a kid who is um, coming to terms with his sexuality and he's going to start the coming out process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's definitely a, it's a comedy that deals with some of those issues. I guess it's a teen comedy really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really fun, really funny. Uh, I thought it was well acted. It's certainly not anything. Oh, hugely groundbreaking in the sense of movie making. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to get a lot of that aspect out of it, but it's really fun. It's really funny. And to me, the most important part about a movie like that is representation. And we're talking a lot about representation because of things like black Panther, where this is a movie that involves a lot of people of color or in major roles and in a role that we haven't seen that before. Mm -hmm. So we haven't seen necessarily a lot of black superheroes. And the biggest thing about groups like that who have felt like outsiders before is that they don't feel represented. And most of the time when you see representations of them, it's a certain kind of representation. So if it's not a biopic about a famous black person, most of the time, roles for black people are of slaves. So to see somebody as a superhero is awesome. They haven't gotten to see something like that before, which is really cool. And for me, obviously this movie does have um, gay themes about coming out, but a lot of times that same thing can be said for a lot of movies that have gay themes, which is it's either a biopic or they're playing a drag queen or they're, or it's this really dramatic, really dark, sort of, oh, isn't it so terrible? Like, being gay is so terrible. Like, that's not the case. Yeah. So, to see a movie that's... Fu- I mean, and it, it deals with things that gay people have to do, which has come out. It's one of the biggest moments in somebody's life. Mm-hmm. So, to go through that and to just not see that it's an awful thing, of course, there are there's drama in this movie that shows that it's not necessarily always easy, but also that you can come out on the other side and it's a, it can be a great experience that you know, brings you closer to feeling like who you are and who you want to be. So to be able to see that and to be done with a comedy to where it's fun and enjoyable is really nice. That's a nice thing to see. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, representation in general out of these movies is so much better than what we have been seeing and talking about. I mean, yeah, we even just talked about Annihilation with women and uh, roles for women. Which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, isn't it nice to get to see something that isn't just a bunch of white dudes on screen? I love it all the time. (laughs) It's amazing. And I've been thinking about that more recently when I have to like pick things on Netflix because of seeing good movies like this actually come out. Yeah, finally. All right. Well, and we talked about that with our Oscar episode too. There was a lot of talk about representation there. So, mm-hmm. and um, so man, yeah, I've seen a lot see more movies. Of, yeah, go but see one of those movies. movies. Go to the movies. Take your pick. We gave you a lot of different options there too. And so. that's four movies that we rated highly. There, yeah, they were all. Zero yeah, there wasn't. Low. There weren't any clunkers there. I don't all think. of these are better than The Shape of Water. So you can't oh, go wrong. I would not disagree with that. So. <laughs> 
Well, at least more enjoyable. Actually, yeah. going to see them is more enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. Each one of these is two Phantom Threads, at least. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. <laughs> oh man. All right. So let's uh let's move on into the trailer watch. Every week you hear a sound, and we watch the trailer. Isaac, what's this week's trailer? Um, I don't know. I just saw this the other... I think it was on my Facebook the other day, and it's a full trailer. I had a lot of teasers that Eli didn't like because they were too short, and they were all Disney, and he wasn't a fan. So <laughs> yes. uh, we're going to be watching a trailer called Sorry to Bother You, and we really don't know what this is about. So. I assume it's about social anxiety. Tessa Thompson's in it. She was just in <laughs> Annihilation, so... Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, well, this is your chance to uh, pause the episode if you're not driving. If you are driving, please don't watch this trailer. And um, yeah, we're going to watch this trailer and then let you know what we think. And we'll insert some music in here just to keep you jamming if you're driving. Yeah, Take take a moment. Here we go. All right, we are back. Isaac, what did you just see? Uh, We saw a trailer for a movie that um, I can't describe necessarily, but I think that's the point, right? Uh, Yeah, there's... uh, It's... um it's a comedy it's a dark 100%, comedy sure, it's a dark comedy extent. but i mean not even that dark in mood it's not that dark it doesn't no. seem i will tell you it strikes me it's a dark subject matter to an extent yes I, I think it has some dark subject matter in it but it looks mostly like a sort of um offbeat comedy maybe offbeat's the better word yeah um and i see some it reminds me of get out in the way that i feel like it's bending genre some so yeah. it's harder to classify that but I mean, it was described as wildly inventive, and it looks kind of wildly inventive to some extent. Yeah, yeah. There was a movie I saw with Shia LaBeouf that combined like I would say like six genres. I can't remember. He ended up his dad died, and he flew somewhere to Europe, and he like hung out and movie. did like it's Charlie something maybe I don't know. But this movie looks like a combination of so many good things, and it looks like a story that will get you so hype and will have the main character running all over and getting into all sorts of crazy situations and like the, a movie that constantly raises the scale and yeah. stays funny and has a character that shoots up like way high, like Wolf of Wall Street style, where a character is thrown into success doing something that's hilarious and different and has a cast of characters that are all just like completely odd strange Mm -hmm. but in 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 everyday life and just there didn't seem to be anything um traditional no okay and we haven't we didn't even explain it 100 percent. there's a a guy a i guess a black mid-20s man who lives with his girlfriend in a garage mm-hmm. <laughs> and he needs to get a job to make money so to stop joins, that so he joins a telemarketing, telemarketing company and scheme maybe even maybe to some scheme extent. we're it not really clear what they're doing so. yeah but it, it's making a lot of money it's clear and he's good at it apparently and well he's good at it because he puts he on what the old black man next to him says is his white voice and not that will smith white voice he says and then he goes into like <laughs> the cartoonish most cartoony white man voice i could think of but that is my favorite part of this trailer yeah, and that's, that's what's funny. that's what's exciting about it and that's what's different about it is just the <laughs> the comedic use of these people putting fresh. on their it white seems voice different yeah. and i all can always appreciate and look forward to seeing something that i've never seen before and that can offer a different perspective 
and that can uh and that's what i love about movies is that we're so we sometimes push the envelope and sometimes pushing the envelope doesn't work and sometimes it offers you a different way of thinking about something or a different way of seeing something and that's always a fun thing to do yeah and i love movies that constantly push things to the next level to the yeah. point that like it the movie seems like it just like explodes which is why i liked um is it was it gold with matthew mcconaughey yeah. i think was the movie because that one was also like this where it constantly like raised the level the bar on like what was going on in the movie to just like it got you hype it got you like feeling like it was you a really good gold it was a, this was a well done this was a very good sure. trailer yeah. yeah so i absolutely am going to see this movie at yeah some i point. think it'll be interesting yeah cool all right highly suggested we uh sorry to bother you is a that's a that's a weird name for it kind of that's what comes from the he says it on the telemarketing oh okay says hi mr so-and-so i'm sorry to bother you but (laughs) sorry to bother you at home except for that was was that's actually a a really good title (laughs) you could have just used your regular voice i could have i guess all right well uh that's it yeah go watch it sorry to bother you trailer number one it looks like it'll be coming out i think it comes out in october actually october so far away july 6th oh that's Mm. different pretty i saw something i remember seeing this on wikipedia when i was looking at things that were coming out in 2018 and it uh, was a little earlier than i expected i think yeah all right and that's the way it is well Isaac, I'm going to hand you a piece of chalk. I want you to draw a doorway, push it open, and, and escape. in that room, we will talk about this <laughs> this movie, Pan's Labyrinth. So, um, this is on both of our lists. It was. One of the only... I think there's a couple of movies that appear on both of them. So, we decided... Who cares if we've both already seen it? Let's rewatch it and talk about it. Well, we have mentioned this already, but... Uh, and the timing. Guillermo del Toro's yeah. movie, The Shape of Water, won four, That's, sounds like four Oscars, including... At least. I don't... I can't even remember anymore. It, most importantly, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Music, Best Production design. Those were at least the four that it won. It so those are the four that more. were, yeah, that we're actually of aware of. Yeah, I mean, mm, if I cared about it... I don't it, think there are any more okay well we were not that impressed with this movie if you haven't been listening to the podcast um it wasn't unimpressive it wasn't bad it just didn't strike me in what we were just talking about in the trailer watch didn't strike me as particularly inventive and especially coming from we've seen guillermo del toro do similar things and we're about to talk about the Mm -hmm. first time that he kind of did some of these things yes um in a movie and that we that so it just didn't strike us as a i guess more inventive or something we haven't seen before it was very well done and when i was re when i was reading the script again went back and i thought about it too some it's a solid movie shape yeah. of water is 100 percent a solid movie that is well done in many regards it has some great acting great um technical categories and strong direction uh, it's just there's just something missing for me in it and um, i couldn't point out what that is I'm going to venture to guess that because you saw this movie, you saw, you've seen the same idea as The Shape of Water. Because I mean, these two are so parallel. Yeah, they're very similar in so many ways. But this one has the, just the, the love put into it that I don't think Shape of Water has. Like Shape of Water is a very good effort. But this is like literally Guillermo del Toro's soul placed into a film in such a such a critical way. It's it's 
it's insanely reflective and well thought out and just it's, seems it's like a piece every of, single detail. And you see that it is a piece of art that you're exactly right. He poured all of those things into it. And it, the best art, yeah. I think, is when you see it was a like movie he or a painting or a story here. and it's anything or mu- even music and you just can tell like that was all that that person yeah. had to give. The Shape of Water is literally the like finely prepared, like late in my career, I'm an artist, like I know how to make art and this is what art looks like. And this and one, it was like, mm, you didn't yeah, pay I mean, attention yeah, to the last exactly time. exactly so. right. That's what art is, but it's just missing something that you can't, yeah. you can't like, it's hard to con- conceptualize. It's hard to... I think it's the connection. There's a little disconnect. I mean, and yeah. I will say that it also, I think, could have to do to some extent. Shape of Water has heavy lifting because, not to say that this can't be done, but the fact that Elisa in Shape of Water is mute. She can only sign. Yeah. And the other main character is a fishman who doesn't speak. Oh, yeah. I think that there that could just be where there's a little of a disconnect. It's just a little harder to connect to those two characters. Although I will say that Sally Hawkins was phenomenal as Elisa, I thought. She did a great job. Mm-hmm. And really, Doug Jones, who did the fishman, is the same person who's in uh, Pan's Labyrinth. So we'll be talking a little bit about him. Yeah. Um, also, but I think that's just kind of it for yeah. that was why it's harder sometimes with the shape of water. Also, if you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, you're you're like, okay, Guillermo, I already saw this and it was better once. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm gonna say right before we get into the background and actually start our normal little schema here of how we deal with these um, talks, I think what the shape of water is missing is the the. Uh, it's the I, I wrote this down somewhere. Let me let me find it because I I had it perfectly laid out it's um oh okay it's a forced combination of two incompatible genres which is oh, what is completely yeah. yes that's what's which missing i wrote from, a huge like juxtaposition yes. is on my paper like yeah. so many times war i mean war and fantasy that's meeting really, at drama yeah, yeah which is which, just like that movie i mean shape of water kind of tries to do the same thing because it brings you into a different it brings you into a different period. It's yeah. also a period piece that mixes fantasy with sort of more traditional elements of the 60s, sort mm-hmm. of Cold War era stuff. I will agree with you that that movie just doesn't cross them in the same way. And it's a little like we've seen this before. We've seen the whole Cold War espionage sort of story a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this one has scenes that are so striking that they, they're they like, they almost seem like defining war movie scenes to me in a way. Like, this is a better mm-hmm. war movie than a lot of movies that are just a war movie that yes, I watch. Absolutely. And then it seems everything, like Shape of Water takes that element and just falls flat on its face with it. Yes, everything. Well, it's an afterthought. Yeah. Let's be honest. That aspect of Shape of Water is the afterthought. The main story is... Yeah. Elisa and the yeah. fish man and name and one- then it's that's just the tension that's going on around them mm-hmm. it doesn't directly affect whereas the war kind of here directly affects yeah. what's going I on mean, in Pan's Labyrinth name one element in this movie that seems like an afterthought there's not, there's no, not that's one. what I was about to say I'm li- <laughs> it was literally like every piece every scene every aspect of this movie not one bit of it is wasted and it's all so yeah. well done that it's and half the time crazy. you're reading subtitles you can't even look at the images Ooh, i have something to say about that though actually oh wow okay so there is an important thing that we'll talk about kind of with subtitles and 
that I had not thought of until I rewatched it kind of after Shape of Water 2 because Shape of Water has subtitles too. It uses some Russian language and then Elisa signs, which I think that Del Toro likes to do. Mm-hmm. I think he likes to have to have subtitles because I think he uses them. But I will tell you that part of the sort of romantic fantasy, I think, with Pan's Labyrinth is that it's not... And not to say that this movie isn't good in Spanish, because it absolutely is. But one aspect of it that I had never thought about for me is that when we're not watching it in English, it kind of adds to that sort of mysterious vibe, I think, a little bit. Oh, it makes it seem more like a fantasy. Yeah, for sure. Or it just is... It's like a... Like, we can't put ourselves, I mean, in a, so if you see a movie set in America, you're just like, oh yeah, it's set in America. Yeah. But you're putting yourself in a far off place, which sort of aids in the whole fairy tale aspect and fantasy story of this is that it's not taking place in America no. in a yeah. language that you understand. It's even further like removed that, from your Yeah, that forced your separation yeah. makes it seem like just a little bit further from your reach. Exactly. So all the elements probably play a little stronger. Yeah, okay, okay. I didn't ever notice that until this time, and I was like, oh, I think that that, that makes really sense. makes a difference. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, um, let's get into um, the background, I guess, before we talk about the plot briefly. Yeah, we can do that. And I I mean, we we just said it was a war movie. So, Spanish Civil War, 100%. 1944, I believe. Yeah, it's in Francisco Spain. Franco. So, I hadn't until this time around, I'd never actually thought about what was going on in this period in Spain. So, I did look into it. And they it's had based already on won, the Spanish Civil right? War. Well, um, the fascists had already won yes, the war. Yes, and Franco is the leader at this point and, and the Vidal, the antagonist of this movie is um ophelia's stepfather for yeah frank and they're trying to basically eradicating rebels yes he brings ophelia and her mother her mother ophelia's mother has recently married vidal and is bearing his son who's about to be born he brings them away from the city that they used to live in and out into the country where he is kind of he's trying to defeat a small faction of rebels that are still resisting. Yeah. And as uh, soon as Ophelia arrives, she finds a labyrinth in next, basically immediately next to this outpost. In the backyard. Yeah. You'd think other people would have explored it. (laughs) Maybe they did. And they didn't have actually access to what she has access to because as you quickly learn, um, Ophelia has found, she follows a little bug. She loves, and she loves fairy tales, fairy tales. and reads That's fairy a big tales. aspect and the adults constantly that. tell her to get out of that world and that she's Which too old for this is important it is important Absolutely. and so she follows a um fairy a little bug that she says she talks to the bug it flies into her room and she says you look like the fairy in this book and the bug transforms in front of her into a fairy and she mm-hmm. follows it into a little labyrinth and walks down a Spiral, spiral in staircase. the center of the labyrinth yeah and meets the fawn who tells her that she is princess of the underworld and to claim her immortality she has to complete three tasks by the next full moon which is very soon and that is from there it goes and i don't know how much we should actually speak about i don't think we have to talk a ton about the plot it's yeah. a very straightforward i mean the plot is and i'll talk a little bit about it i won't speak to the actual elements of the plot but there's a very significant to me in this movie. If you've ever, if you watch a lot of movies or if you understand sort of uh, story, you'll definitely pick up on the story for Ophelia because it's a very straightforward sort of um, traditional heroic story. Yeah. Um, I actually, it's kind of actually a pretty strong representation of the monomyth, which is a um, 
sort of scholarly framework that if you go back and look at it, I got some of this from Wikipedia. If you look up monomyth or literally the hero's journey, Mm -hmm. you will see a lot of those element elements where, and sort of, I think it comes from mythology a little bit too, which obviously Guillermo del Toro was picking up on aspects of that. Yeah. And something called pan's labyrinth, even though, even though that fawn is not named pan here pan is just more attractive or they figured would be more attractive to an american audience based on the knowledge of yeah and i have i mean and we they never the the name pan is never actually used and because it's not mythology yeah in greek religion and mythology pan is sort of the god of the wild and of nature and it takes place take it he often takes the form of a fawn yeah so obviously del toro wrote that with sort of this pan idea even Inspired though it's not by, supposed but to be not explicitly yeah it's not yes. explicitly the god of pan oh and something we missed about this that's important i think to explain the plot of the beginning of the movie is that i mean at the very start um you see ophelia the main character you see her with a nosebleed and the blood runs back up into her nose that's the initial shot sort of the movie of, mm-hmm. and then yeah the camera pans into her eye and it goes through what is a fairy tale intro that talks about the underworld yes. princess that was lost and then is now up in the realm of the humans mm-hmm. and then it bleeds into that into story the, of Ophelia her mom showing up yes. at the outpost yeah which is immediately sets it up to make it seem like a fairy tale like it doesn't it doesn't waste any time. No, yeah, absolutely. It makes you feel like it's already there in that fantasy. And sort of just to run through, I didn't even you can study and kind of look at the elements of a monomyth, but when I was just thinking about the movie, even just thinking about that, you kind of get this whole hero's journey. You know where it has supernatural elements, there's sort of a mentor character and our hero has tasks that he must complete or objects he must find. Mm-hmm. Um typically at some point there's a temptation and the hero fails to some extent, but then all often is resurrected and makes a sacrifice and then in the end is successful on his journey. That's, yeah. I mean, basically yeah. you can see yeah. even right there, all yeah. of those, 100%. Ass- all of those all in the movie. boxes are kind of checked by this. And I think that's on purpose. I think the, I think del Toro meant to give you a very easy story in that respect that people would understand because it's not just about that story. It's about taking that sort of fairy tale story or that mythic hero story and, putting it up against the actual war story that's also going on at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Are there more pod- parts of the plot that you really want to hit on? Uh, I don't think we should. I think everyone should go watch this movie. I'm oh, absolutely. 100% concrete that anyone who's listening to this would gain a lot from going and to uh, watch it before we're listening to the rest of this. It's an. I will say this. Sometimes you and I have we have some out there tastes too. We're obviously sitting here talking about shape of water when I know plenty of people who would watch shape of water and be like, I hated that movie. It's not a thing that I want to see. Yeah. So we definitely have some interesting tastes on occasion, but I think that everybody would, everybody can watch this movie and enjoy it. The worst part of it for some people could be that there's a little bit of graphic violence in a couple of parts, but it's quick usually. Mm -hmm. But, and that's, it's that's purposeful too. Even that is, included because you're supposed to, and I think when we get to theme, we'll be able to, I don't want to allude too much to stuff, but traveling into theme, the shocking graphic violence is important because it literally, this movie is about push and pull intentions between two 
things like we said juxtapose you're juxtaposing two yeah. things and two separate worlds that are being slammed together yes and so normal. you have this fantasy fairy tale right up against this horrific graphic wartime violence yeah which is funny it's actually um it reminded me when I watched it this time through and I was thinking about that and how the juxtaposition works so well, it's like, it's like German fairy tales, uh, in German class. I took, I took a yeah. lot, I studied a lot of German in school and you've got the classic fairy tales that we know that are Grimm's brothers fairy tales, right? That are mm-hmm. like magical that encapsulate all the normal, like this is good for children. Like this is positive right. and it has all those fantastical elements. Well, German fairy tales, they all have a dark side that yeah. is just not, it's not, it's not, you <laughs> know, we cut all tales yeah where they watered them down yeah the german ones like i mean kids are getting eaten like limbs are being chopped off like i mean santa claus or whatever has his own like krampus alter ego that has become a really popular concept recently and that's i mean that's what this made me think of if uh anyone would like a reference so (laughs) yeah and there are um so periodically i guess sort of to kind of go through the plot i don't want to give too much away but periodically elophilia has to complete these tasks for the fawn yeah there's three tasks and they're very they're complete they're very fantastical so she actually it's implied in the movie up whether this is really happening is up for debate to some extent well there's there's but ophelia has she has to go retrieve a key from the stomach of this frog she has to go into the pale man's lair and steal what does she steal a dagger out of his she has to take the key and unlock the box that well yeah she had a choice three boxes but she ends up taking the dagger yes and so she is and it's this monster who has i'm sure plenty of people have sort of seen this image because it's a very Memorable. It's the cover photo for this movie, basically. and it's a very memorable where the monster, the pale man, has eyes on his hands, and that's mm-hmm. how he can see. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's blind otherwise. So there are very fantastical sequences um, next to this sort of story where France, where Vidal, Francisco, where Vidal is uh, battling these rebels, yeah. and that's important too because there are some side characters on Vidal's compound, Mercedes, which is one of his housekeepers, mm-hmm. and the doctor who's caring for Ophelia's essentially dying mother. Yeah. Um, they're helping the rebels because they're sort of from that area and uh, um, Mercedes's brother is in this rebel faction and um, and they're trying to defeat Vidal and his cronies. Yeah, yeah, his group of men at the outpost. Yeah, that's all true. I guess um are there any that's that's enough background that's the plot. plot. Yeah. Are there any production points that you want to make before we get into the themes? Even though we've already talked about themes and this is all going to Well, uh, yeah, and I mean excited. the themes we're about to go right into them and that will be the highlight, I think. Um I did talk about I mean the hero's journey was one of the big themes, but also we're sort of getting into this juxtaposition that we can explore there. Yeah. Um I the only other production aspects I like to talk about sort of the strength of the movie too, which we don't have to talk a ton about this. Um, I did, we did, we were talking about how it did at the Oscars and this movie was not nominated for best picture or director, which is completely outrageous. It actually lost. It was okay. So it was the third most nominated movie that year behind dream girls, which was also not nominated for best picture. It had eight nominations. Most of them are song nominations. Yeah. Um, and then Babel, which is Inaratu, which is a oh, movie from yeah. Inaratu. A contemporary of this man. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. And um, so it was the third most nominated movie, even though it wasn't nominated for Best Picture Director. Uh, it won cinematography. Uh, it won 
production design. So like we've said, it was actually called art direction back then. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked on the last episode about it's called production design, yeah. which is basically set and set decorating. Yeah, and this one is second to none in that category. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then it won makeup, yeah. obviously. obviously. So uh, if you've seen, if you watch the movie, you'll see <laughs> fantastic sets. really well done there is some cgi but a lot of it was actually i mean the the outfit for doug jones to wear both as the pale man and as the fawn are costumes essentially they're not yeah um it's not cgi and a credit to the cgi a point i want to make really quickly here is um a lot of the coloring so when they're outdoors Mm -hmm. there was a major drought going on oh yeah if you read about that yeah so a lot of the like coloring was done in post and a lot of like the uh, moss and fauna and... yeah for sure there was no real fire in the movie so every single time you see light that's being generated from fire that light was generated and then fire was placed in which is like yeah, kind of ridiculous because i didn't i didn't notice i've watched this movie multiple times i've never been like oh i bet all that fire is fake every single little like lamp or and light or torch it's not they a lot of a lot of productions use real sort of pyrotechnics but some of it's fake too um so yeah i mean there's some incredible work going on sort of with the camera and with the photography and with yeah. what it's capturing versus what they're showing you yeah and there's some really good small uh subtle production choices like pollen i don't know if you looked for pollen in this movie but anytime they're in the daytime the level of pollen is a direct tell to how oh, close she is to a fantasy creature yeah yeah oh, I, never, I know i never thought about that and now i'm thinking i'm like oh yeah i didn't remember there's a lot of stuff in the air kind yeah, of yeah you'll see paul whenever that happens yeah. yeah and then i guess the last thing about production that i want to point out is his um his love for frame wipes in this movie which oh, are i oh yeah yes, I hate, those between are, the thing that really distracted me i will say I, at first i was like i hated the editing yeah i don't mind the frame wipes there's so many dissolves i'm not really a fan of dissolves and dissolves are kind of an old school yeah, film editing technique com- and there's a lot of dissolving it's very uh but direct he uses, t- he uses that <laughs> editing specifically too because he cuts off t- sometimes between two things sort of like Ophelia. so Ophelia has to find a key yeah and then mercedes there's an uh, important plot where she's in charge of this key to the storeroom yeah and you know ophelia has to get this dagger and mercedes carries this dagger around with her in her shirt sort of yep. as protection and stuff so and then often in her book her that one point where she opens the book and there's blood that's dripping down all the yeah, pages the and then her mother is sort of starting to give birth and she's bleeding so there are a lot of those things so obviously the dissolves are important there yeah. i'm just not a fan of that particular technique on <laughs> personally but <laughs> yeah i i agree i thought it was too much but then i did realize that i mean it kind of like i mean with the juxtaposition like the wipes overusing the wipes in this scenario like i could see an artistic like argument for like oh, well, they're like two things that don't connect are connecting. So like mm-hmm. he's wiping back and forth between them because there is, you can tell that there's a direct um, attention to making sure like there's a scene in reality and there's a scene that deals with yes. fantasy and there's a scene that deals with reality and there's a scene that deals with fantasy and they're wiping back and forth like that. Mm-hmm. And then eventually the lines start to cross and yeah, that's when there's less wipes is there's less wipes in the editing once that those oh, wow. things are actually crossing. I know uh, this, it's, it's just crazy. So good, this movie is which, so well done. Yeah, and I, I mean, can't even, 
also the color editing literally the coloring of the movie is like those dark really dull tones when it's the reality and then the brighter ones when it's fantasy and it deals with her and even own characters have their own colors and you can see that throughout like whenever you see mercedes with the rebel pedro it's like really green it's like so green which i think reality partially because of the drought well the reality colors are i kind of read this somewhere i don't exactly remember the reality colors are like blues and greens and then the warm tones are for ophelia which is like reds and browns and she has all of those and so does mercedes and then all the forest and rebel stuff is very green and all of it all stuff is really blue is what i noticed yeah it's like a gray blue yeah Mm -hmm. yeah which and i mean those start to blend as you get later in the movie it's like everything has combined and it's just so oh i mean it is an incredible movie and i actually have two here if you're interested in sort of the behind the scenes stuff especially about the production and how they put it together um i have a book here that eli got me for christmas last year (laughs) it's called guillermo del toro's pan's labyrinth inside the creation of a modern fairy tale by mark Vaz and nick nuziata with the foreword by guillermo and it's basically a compilation of um they did interviews with the cast and with del toro and i mean the book is just so guillermo so awesome (laughs) guillermo does basically when he's making movies which a lot of them have fantasy elements he mean he sketches constantly and there are so many photos in here and sketches from i think they're recreations of del toro's actual sketches that he does it's just an awesome look at the way that the movie was made yeah and sort of that stuff that we that we can't talk about because we weren't there we can look and we can recognize some of it but just to get the full effect of it yeah and there's a lot of this book has a ton of pictures more beautiful pictures you can imagine and little cutouts that look like sketches in the middle but also the amount of information there's a lot of text in this book we could have 10 podcasts on this movie after reading this this book yeah and you get to see the makeup you get to see sets you get to see all of that stuff. Yeah, these people didn't sponsor us. We're just plugging. This oh no, we're just plugging this because we are obsessed. It's a treasure. Really. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very cool, and the movie is, and of course, see the movie too, and you'll be able to see a lot of what we're talking about here. <laughs> um, so. I think that we're I think we're getting close into theme to just wrap yeah, it up. I mean, with we've our talked themes. about we talked about juxtapose. We didn't talk specifically. I have some themes that are juxtaposed to. Obviously, most of the movie is fantasy versus reality. Yeah. And so they always are t- Ophelia's mother tells her, her stepdad tells her, You need to live in the real world. This is the real world. This is what we have to do. Stop reading the stop filling your head with those fantasies, despite the fact that she's actually encountering something that is supernatural and from another world and mm-hmm. she has this opportunity supposedly to become a princess and i say supposedly because some people could argue that maybe this all took place in ophelia's head there's yeah. actually two points to be made that can't be explained by them. so obviously actually the whole movie only the supernatural stuff is ever seen to ophelia yeah no other character ever encounters any of it. They never yeah, witness any of it. Even in one situation where you see a character could see a fantasy creature and doesn't at and the doesn't. same time Ophelia right. does. Um, so. so it could be argued that all of this happened in her head. She literally, oh, yeah. as is as she's laying on the ground, finally sort of she achieves this thing or whatever, not to spoil the whole movie. <laughs> but uh, kind of. But kind of. <laughs> uh, and then, but there are two specific instances. One, that, chalk. 
one is how at some point does Ophelia escape from a room if it's locked and guarded if she has chalk if there's if the plus the chalk the fawn gave her appears and is held by yes. the doll in his office and also the there's a root the portion with the root they hold the root where yeah. would Olivia or uh, Olivia where would Ophelia, Ophelia have gotten this root and it really did at one point look like it was making her mother better. The doctor could not explain it. He told the doll he couldn't explain this. And yeah. then as soon as they got rid of the root. Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I want to point out really quickly. the um, I read about this and I think it's a really good point to make. And it's part of the blending of the the juxtaposition, the blending here, the reality and the fantasy and the way that the one way to draw the um, viewer in that Guillermo del Toro is really proud of apparently is the um, initial discovery of the labyrinth in mm-hmm. which you make the fantastic mundane and you show it in the most normal situation in the most standard way, which is when he shows the maze without using the fantastic color editing and with using a, the normal daytime kind of like, like imagery. When she sort of walks in there initial, and then Mercedes finds her. Yeah, when yeah. like, yeah, you see the outpost and you see the maze beside it and it almost looks like nothing. It's yeah, just, she just it's says there. it's ruins that have always been here. Yeah, and everyone feels that way about it and it's shown in such a standard way that it really like brings you up along into the fantasy and I think that like taking the obviously fantastic i mean you can see it like it's got a fawn's head on that stone mm-hmm. archway and the quote that i opened up this podcast with is actually written there in spanish oh, if you didn't know that i didn't know that yeah in your hands lies your destiny so that stuff is really cool and i think it's i 100 percent agree that that's a big deal because it doesn't strike you as oh this is like really like the fantastical element the most important part of the movie when you just see her like stroll yeah. up to it in a way that isn't like it's not glamorous so no and the final sort of juxtaposition that i wanted to talk about in terms of theme which kind of actually deals with more of the outside less of the mm-hmm. fantastical which yeah. is sort of um obedience versus defiance so We certainly get that with the war effort between Mercedes and her brother, who are the rebels versus Vidal, who, you know, is trying to make everybody obey. That also is happening with Ophelia because Ophelia is sort of subtly defying. They tell her all the time, stop reading these fairy tales, get in the, the real world. And she, Ophelia disobeys her mother because her mother's telling her to do that her mother sort of settled for this new marriage because her ophelia's father was killed and they needed well she was knocked up too i mean oh i thought it was sort of implied that they were already married like oh that she sort of just settled for the general because he came by and he was interested in her and what else was she gonna do how else was how else was she gonna provide for ophelia i it's not actually ever said whether or not that child was conceived before they got married. But I would also assume that it's part of the whole political struggle going on that she, it's kind of like her accepting that side that's in power now. Oh yeah. Ophelia's mother is absolutely the symbol for that versus against Ophelia or Mercedes who are still trying and holding on to these old ways and the ways that they want, that they still wanted to have. So that was um, important too. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about, clocks do you have anything about clocks and time i don't have anything about clocks and time in mind i don't have a lot of it either it isn't interesting it's sort of a part of vidal of the antagonist and the villain oh i do have something about he, the pocket watch well because he sort of he has this broken pocket watch which his father smashed whenever he died 
and it symbolizes like the exact moment that he i don't exactly remember what he says about it yeah it's the exact moment of his father's death and just that he like died a some sort of man like he like knew a, yeah, preparing like a valiant, to die and like, then accepting it yeah. yeah and i put i like this i put it was his obsession and his oppression that's how i put it yes and it is i think that's important too vidal is always looking at his own pocket watch which is all because he's sort of a time guy. He's really like into, and he makes clocks at various times too. Yeah, well, the broken the one was his dad's. I'm assuming that he fixed right because it's a broken watch that's there mm. the entire time, and he fixes it in that one scene. Oh. I assume that it was his. Dad's it probably is the same one. Yeah. I didn't ever think that, but because he lives in that shadow, it yeah, determined to be that, Just and like that's what his drives father, his yeah. character. Yeah. Well, and to because the point even that he can't handle it himself, and it's made him a sadistic madman i believe well which, yeah I mean, you've seen the violence and he doesn't care about ophelia or her mother really he only cares about his son which is going to be born yeah and there there are just crazy moments in the movie where he's shaving and you see him like looking in the mirror at himself and you think it's almost like something is about to happen like you think he's gonna see something in the mirror or like a character's yeah, gonna enter but it's about. literally just like him tensely shaving and looking at himself almost like he wants to hurt himself like yeah he's just completely lost it because he can't handle the pressure that are placed on him to be like the man that his father was and like to hold the position of power in this government, which I think has probably more political meaning than I could place on it. But I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, Civil War, I certainly so. don't know that sort of aspect to it. I'm not very well. There was, it, I did read but, after, um, apparently the movie, this movie takes place as the same movie or in the same universe as the devil's backbone, yes. which I haven't seen, I haven't seen but apparently either. September 11th happened between these two and Guillermo del Toro says that that changed a lot of his political views. And oh. there's a lot of like something about like the political themes in this are wrapped up in that plus his thoughts on the civil war. So well, interesting there. I did read about that too. It, this is sort of, he calls del Toro calls it sort of the sister movie to devil's backbone. He yeah. said that that was the more like boy, uh, led story and that this was sort of a companion to it literally a sister and i heard works. that there was a third one that was supposed to be done and i think that he's sort of abandoned that i think i saw that on the imdb in the trivia section they said oh. they don't know when he's ever going to do the third one it was Wait. conceived as three different parts or that he had three ideas that he sort of decided he was going to put all together into this yeah. thing and then he hasn't done that which maybe so it's, it's interesting that you said or maybe it has to do with he's with he's just changed his mind on it or things have affected that and they never came through. I did want to say about the clock. I do think that there was a really cool part just that goes with production design. It's that the old mill where Vidal has his office has these huge gears and like mechanical aspects. So it's just really cool because clocks is his motif sort of or like theme and there's a giant like <laughs> giant cog oh, like literally like lives in a behind clock, him he's literally standing which is in awesome front of to think about if he yeah. lives in a clock yeah which, yeah, which he does we talked about. Yeah. he's obsessed he's with obsessed he with lives time. in the world of time and, and those little details yeah yeah man it's just we could well, you said it earlier <laughs> we could talk about this movie for forever because there's just so much to it oh man yeah and then um actually another production thing that i didn't get to either was um something that's really cool about like the way the movie advances and changes is if you time out i read that if you time out these scenes the violent scenes in the movie like literally the time it takes and the number of shots like angles that are provided for each like moment of intense violence that comes from vidal 
and happens, they get shorter throughout the movie. Almost like they become like single quick throwaway scenes moving from like longer with complex angles shots down to just like almost like not even being important and not even being the focus of what's going on, which is interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting, um, little production thing that let me, let me pull up what I said. Well, there's a lot of those because I mean, Del Toro is obviously very, uh, methodical and very detail oriented in his stuff. There's no way you can't be. Yeah. It's just, um, it's just an interesting choice to me that like the violence gets like more important, like the characters that are mm-hmm. being closer, sort who's of. dying. Yeah. Yeah. To like make, to have such like a heavy, like, I don't know, like just, I mean, graphic violent scene in the beginning for a character that doesn't even matter. And then mm-hmm. to move the violence to like when it really matters just to make it this like, quick thing that just goes by is uh oh, i see what you're kind of saying i yeah. almost think too it's it's hard to well it's hard to keep your violence like that when you know that audiences are attached to characters because it's upsetting oh yeah <laughs> you know what i, I mean that's true. you don't want it, you don't want there to be you don't want characters that you like to, to you sit there watching them and suffering although there's i mean there's aspects of that in shape of water too actually but yeah there's just yeah, there's just a lot of things that I think change throughout this movie. I think that's part of the reason why I made a note about that because even you see the Vaughn, the fawn, like the fawn's aging in reverse during the movie as like she believes more in the myth and is completing the tasks. Oh, and it's sort of that's what had brought him out of yeah because yeah, he's like he said, he's like frozen and aged mm-hmm. with white hair and glassy eyes and wrinkles and like the fawn gets younger and more colored and loses those and becomes more powerful and the voice gets stronger like all of that. It's just like. Uh, just well and the fawn is interesting we didn't really and we haven't talked about doug jones playing the fawn yeah um but the fawn is also an interesting character because you don't you almost it's hard because you almost don't know it's almost the sort of untrust like i called him the mentor in the aspect when i was talking about the monomyth because that's sort of the role that he plays there but it almost isn't because it's very you can't you don't know his intentions. You're kind of trying to figure out, I is think, he being truthful? Is he not? Yeah. Which obviously knowing the end of the movie, there is an important aspect to that that I won't explore well, a ton. But let me say that just like it says in the maze. And I think this is the most important theme for this movie is that in your hands lies your destiny because it's really like, I mean, nothing is inherently good and evil, but the choices have consequences. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you decide to eat from the table of the pale man or whether you decide to open the right door that the fairy tells you to open in whatever's going on, there are consequences for what happens and they they will affect you. But whether or not you choose to, you know go for immortality whatever that may mean mm-hmm. like there are there are choices and those all have consequences and the fawn never inherently represents good or evil no yeah but absolutely. gives you tasks and you options yeah you go about you them. choose yourself it's not yes yeah. yeah and i mean there's there's a lot of ways this is shown too and one of those ways i think the only detail the for sure detail that i liked a lot was the fact that the fairies were carnivores and they tore into that meat in that one scene yeah. when he feeds them because that's not how you imagine a fairy like it's got like sharp teeth and it's biting into flesh and just like ripping it up and it's like it's kind of disturbing it's not like it's like oh fairies are these good nice mystical fantastical creatures but no you see 
this dark side to the fairy yeah, that like all I can't the... tell that fairy might eat me like I'm flesh. Well, and so. even when you think about the sort of sequences where it shows the un- I mean it's from the underworld, yeah, which is where sort of the tale of immortality or supposedly mm-hmm. the princess came from. It doesn't strike you as a very it doesn't look like a very pleasant place. It's very dark. It's very, I mean, it does have those warm tones, but it's browns. It's not bright and colorful. It's dark and kind of unsettling because we're used to all of our fantasy being happy and, uh, you know, joyous, not necessarily more closer to a sort of dark reality. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole thing about choice and talking about, Vidal and obsession and oppression and the juxtaposition that's that's what makes this movie a 10 out of 10 and literally oh yeah we haven't even gone half into the details that i think we could go into but if i, I made more notes most of this stuff but we talked about a lot and if we haven't convinced you to watch this movie then i feel bad for you because i don't think just, we can you give, i don't know that we'll be able to convince you <laughs> to watch just, any movie yeah you're just i mean you're robbing yourself of an opportunity but yeah, I think uh, good job. If Do you have anything else you want to close out with? I mean, you? if you're scared of the fact that it's a foreign language movie, there's actually the movie is not dialogue driven at all. It's not hard to watch even with the subtitles. There's not a lot of dialogue, so no. it's easy and it's kind of basic. And I think that there's actually an aspect that I read where Del Toro did that on purpose. So he was offered to make this movie for double the budget if they would make it in English and he refused to do it. He didn't <laughs> want to do it. Yeah. And then, I mean, we talked about how this movie was a labor for him. He literally t- like didn't take salary, put it. Oh yeah. The no, movie. I heard the movie lost funding and all like, of that stuff. He and a contemporary, I think it might've been a raw to put up like a hundred thousand. I think okay, it's Quran put up like a hundred thousand dollars just to like, let's make this happen. And so. the, the thing about the subtitles is that Del Toro. So obviously he wrote the screenplay, but also he wrote the subtitles because at some point yeah, in I another movie, also. he was so upset with the way the that the subtitles had changed yep. what, yeah. the way that the movie could be received or the way yeah. that it well, could be read. Wasn't he wa- it wasn't the way he, he wanted like it interpreted. Yeah. yeah, which is yes. a big thing it is in a big translation. Thing. Like, I just watched Dark, that German uh, language Netflix mm-hmm. show. And, I mean, I have the German skills of a 10-year-old, but, like, when I read the subtitles and hear what the kids are saying, I can tell that there's, like, a distinct difference in how which I would translate it personally. I knew... Uh, and this movie actually, I think, I think I've watched, I might have watched it. I know I watched it in a high school film class because we've kind of, it's a very easy, easily understood sort of academic. It has important themes in it, but they're easy to understand and talk yeah. about. Yeah. So that's why I watched it there. I may have actually watched it in a Spanish class too, because most of the Spanish that's in here is pretty basic Spanish. It's yeah. not difficult. So, but I could tell the same thing. I, there would be times when I would read the subtitle and I would say, oh, I basically know how to say that in Spanish and it wouldn't quite be the same or it would be a little <laughs> different. And I was like, oh, I think I see what you're doing there, Del Toro. So, yeah. cool. so don't watch it just because it's, don't not watch it because it's in Spanish. It's easily understood. You don't not watch and anything because it's no, in a foreign yeah, absolutely. language. Please. You're you were there's so many great no, things great. out there that you will find. And when actors are talking to actors, do not watch dubbing if you can all help it. Because someone's voice in a booth with no other actors oh, will no, never match the yeah the actual talent that goes into acting and interacting with another human face to face. 
And I will say too, it is kind of funny because Doug Jones as the fawn was actually dubbed over. He learned yeah. all of the Spanish. Still wasn't good enough. But <laughs> it was hard to understand and it was hard to understand, I think, through the mask. And But oh, okay. it was helpful because he had learned it that the motion was correct for the words and then they just did dub over Yeah, it. down to like the lips or something I heard yeah. that like they studied what he had done very carefully to make sure that it matched. And it does. I couldn't have told you. Oh, no, was, you would never have thought that yeah. it was dubbing. Um, but yeah. It is kind of interesting that we were talking, we talked about Inaratu, Cuaron, and Del Toro here, yeah. and they're sort of the big three for, I think, Mexican yes. cinema, mm-hmm. and um, they've all three won Best Director Oscars now. Yeah, I mean, they're all three excellent directors. Oh, incredible, it's yeah. unreal. Yeah. Talk about three good contemporaries. I wonder how young they were when they knew each other. Were they already making movies, or do you think they knew each other before any of them had achieved actual success? That'd be interesting well, I think they worked about. in the I think they worked in the Mexican film industry together. So you think they were all PAs? They were like running around getting people <laughs> coffee. Like, One day, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure that I, how many people in Hollywood have known each other like that and done things Probably like that a too. Lot of them, there a huge are. A, you'd, of them. I think you'd be surprised if you're paying attention to sort of the behind the scenes stuff not necessarily the actors but circle of life but i mean even actors you always hear the stories about actors oh i was roommates with so-and-so yeah and then they're both like oscar-winning actors later (laughs) and i was ungodly wealthy and i just strolled in yeah (laughs) no just kidding all right uh well yep Thanks for listening to us. This has been the Popcorn Brothers Movie Podcast. You can find us online on Facebook and on Twitter at PBMC Podcast, where we'll be posting the trailer for this episode uh, today. Sometime soon. Before the episode comes out. So you'll have some time to watch it. We'll post exactly what it is. It'll already be up by the time they're listening to this. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we always make a big deal about it's, when we post just him, it. Uh, yeah, you're right. I guess it doesn't even matter. That's funny. I never thought about that. All right. But uh, you can find the uh, scheduling for our next episodes at popcornbrothersmovieclub.com. By the time you hear this, we'll have it figured out, hopefully. If not, you yeah. won't see those. But... You'll see something because we do know what we're talking about next week. Yeah. And what are we talking about next week? So to continue on with movies we've both seen, but movies we both love, uh, we're going to bring up something that's a little bit weird. Maybe you won't be all into that, but here's a weird movie that me and Eli both like, but you've probably heard of before. It is Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan. Yeah. Continuing the theme of dark, twisted fairy tales. Oh, yeah. I'm all about it. Oh, yeah. They got it in there, too. (laughs) All right. So review us on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're here on SoundCloud. That's where we're hosted. Uh, Yeah. um, I think that's it. What do you think? I think that's all good. All right. I'm Eli. I'm Isaac. And this has been The Club. 